0: If you're visiting with us, my name is Derek Overstreet. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church. And tonight I have the privilege of reading a crucifixion narrative. It's a narrative that explains what Jesus went through and what truly happened at the cross. It was written by a man by the name of Rick Gamosh. He is a friend and a fellow pastor. He's the senior pastor at our church in Burnsville, Minnesota. Uh, To be sure, this narrative is not Scripture itself. It flows from Scripture, and it is written from a careful application of a sanctified imagination... But it is powerful, it is a powerful illustration of truth. And so I want to encourage us this evening to listen with a sensitivity toward the Spirit. To listen intently, but listen with a humble heart that, well, that, that the Lord would make this as if it's the first time you had heard ever Of what happened at the cross. It's going to take us back to the garden of Gethsemane, but the focus will be the trial of Jesus as well as his crucifixion. So let's pray and begin, shall we? Lord, we ask now that you would open our hearts to the truths that are represented in this narrative lord our desire is well our desire is to leave here differently than when we came in to be more aware of your sacrifice what it meant to your father what it meant to you and all that it means for us now that by your grace you've applied it to our sinful hearts So have your way in us now. Cause your truths to spring forth and be glorified in what we do now. In Jesus' name, amen. A crucifixion narrative. Jesus is bowed and bloody. 110 pounds of lumber is strapped across his shoulders. The weight of the rough wood proves too much as it grinds against the lacerations left by the Roman scourging. Pain explodes like light in Jesus' brain, and he crumples under the beam. When he comes to, Jesus feels somehow weightless, and he realizes that the wooden crossbeam has been cut away from his back. Another man is carrying it now, a dark man whose face he cannot see. But he does see the face of another. Mercifully, a Roman centurion bends and takes Jesus under the arm to lift him gently to his feet again. Jesus looks up and holds the soldiers captive in his gaze. The victim's eyes do not pierce the centurion with the hatred he expects. Instead, he finds... Love in those eyes. Love mingled with pain, yes. Broken-hearted love, but love nonetheless. And not a love excited by one mere act of kindness. This love preceded the moment. This love preceded his existence. This love preceded the existence of the world. Somehow the centurion knows that, that these are the eyes of eternal love. Jesus holds the soldier's gaze as long as he can. But the blood that dripped off the ends of his hair to the ground when he was bent low under the cross now drops into his eyes. The blood mixed with sweat and stings, and Jesus blinks. By this time Friday, Jesus is familiar with that sting. But it was a new sensation on Thursday night in the garden. There in the garden, Jesus walked with his friends, singing hymns and speaking quietly. They passed through the city gate and walked up the hill of Gethsemane through the olive trees. But there were only 11 friends with Jesus, not 12. One of the 12 chosen proved no friend at all. Satan already held Judas, the betrayer, by the hand, Then, and now he has him by the neck. You see, Judas hangs pale and gasping, swinging from the the end of his belt under the limb of a tree. The flames of hell are already lapping at his feet. It would have been better if Judas had not been born. Eleven remain then, but soon, well, soon there would be none. Not one friend would stay strike the shepherd and the sheep scattered one would run run terrified out of the garden naked and the rest would follow Jesus fell on his face in prayer he tasted the dirt as he fought for the eternal destinies of his 11 sleeping sheep just a stone's throw away let the cup pass Jesus cried father if possible let the cup pass the father gazed at his son and the son stared back knowingly your will be done father he whispered and the father held out the cup and Jesus looked in and what he saw there flung him into the throes of agony. He pressed his forehead deep into the dirt, which softened into mud when mingled with his tears. Jesus felt several small explosions of pain underneath the skin on his face. His tiny capillaries in the sweat glands burst under the stress, and blood flowed through his pores and dropped into his eyes. And it stung. Jesus lifted his head to the sky and cried out, I will drink from this cup, Father. I will drink from this cup so that your glory may be vindicated and my name may be glorified. And so that the sheep that you have given me will see our glory and enjoy it forever. I will drink on behalf of our rescue mission. Just then, through the blurry eyes, Jesus saw the line of torches slithering like a snake up to the hill to the garden. The mob had arrived. Judas kissed. Friends fled. Soldiers arrested. And Jesus' world became a swirl of torment and mockery. His trial was a sham as liars lied and mockers mocked. God claimed to be God, and it was called blasphemy. The face that Moses longed to see, the face that he was forbidden to see, was slapped and spit on. More blood in the eyes, more stinging. And as he was dragged from the high priest's house, Jesus "'managed a bloody-eyed glance at Peter. "'This friend ran from the garden, "'but this, friend's, this friend followed, "'and this friend had done the unthinkable three times. "'This friend denied the friend of friends. "'This friend denied the friend of sinners. "'He invoked a curse to lend credence to his denials.' And now the cock crowed. And Jesus held Peter in the gaze of eternal love. But Peter looked away and ran. Just outside the city gate, he stumbled and fell to the ground, heaving sobs, and considered joining Judas on his tree. But he pleaded to the Father for forgiveness instead, and the Father looked a few hours into the future, to Friday afternoon, and on behalf of what he saw there, he granted Peter the forgiveness he requested. The governor of Judah was up early this cold, gray, wet Friday morning. The city slept as the priests and soldiers led Jesus to the palace of Pontius Pilate. But soon the priests would have a sympathetic crowd as news of Jesus' arrest passed from house to house. They leveled their charges. This man forbids us to to pay tribute to Caesar, and he calls himself a king. Pilate stared intently at Jesus. He questioned him, and yet he found no guilt. Neither did Herod. So Pilate offered to release Jesus to the swelling crowd, but they chose freedom for the murderer Barabbas instead. Then what should I do with the Jesus of Nazareth? Pilate shouted to the mob. The mob thundered back, crucify him, crucify him. And their voices prevailed. Pilate washed his hands and delivered the innocent one to death. Now Jesus was stripped and his hands were tied above his head To a post. A large shirtless Roman legionnaire stepped toward Jesus fondling a short whip. Several heavy leather thongs hung off the handle weighed down by the small balls of lead attached near the ends of each. The muscles in the legionnaire's back and arms bulged as he brought down the heavy whip with full force. Again and again and again across Jesus' shoulders and back and buttocks and legs. The Jews would have been more merciful, no more than 39 lashes. But the Romans... They extend no such mercy, and the balls of lead yielded large, deep bruises. And then the bruises were eventually broken, opened by the endless blows. The thongs cut through the skin, and they cut even deeper into the muscles. From behind, Jesus no longer looked human. His his skin hung in a long bloody ribbons of tissue fearing they had gone too far and killed Jesus before it was time the soldiers cut him loose and he fell in an unconscious heap at their feet as Jesus came to he was forced to stand a purple robe not his own was wrapped around him and clung to his open wounds. They they made him hold a stick, a mock scepter. And now the king of the Jews needed a crown. One of the Romans picked up a, a thorn branch from a pile of firewood and braided it into a circle. Never did thorns compose so rich a crown or so painful a crown Another soldier took the scepter from the hand of the king of kings and beat the crown into his skull bloody sweat blinded him and his stinging eyes momentarily took his mind off the pain in his back But then the purple robe was torn from Jesus and ribbons of flesh that adhere to the cloth were ripped off with its removal. Each wound had a voice of its own to shriek its pain and once again Jesus collapsed. Now Jesus is dressed in his own clothes and before the merciful centurion can move Jesus along behind the dark man now carrying the cross an old woman approaches and wipes Jesus' face with a linen cloth. She Jesus looks in her looks her in the eyes and then looks to the crowd of the weeping woman behind her. And he says this, "Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children." The days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. And to the old woman, he adds, If they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Then Jesus walks on beyond the city gates, Gates, and it's nine o'clock in the morning on Friday. Through the steady rain, Jesus glances up from the base of a rocky hill. It's named Golgotha, the skull. At the top, he sees several posts fixed in the ground. Three of those poles stand ready to receive their crossbeams, and the tattered body of Jesus and the two. Criminals carrying their crosses behind him. At the top of the hill, the merciful centurion hands Jesus a cup. Jesus sniffs the liquid. It's wine mixed with myrrh, a mild narcotic to dull the pain. But Jesus is meant to feel all the pain. So he hands the cup back. This is not the cup of the Father, that he is about to drink. A soldier then strips Jesus. Again, his back is set on fire as his skin tears away with the cloth. And now Jesus lays naked in the dirt. The dark man places the crossbeam by Jesus' head. This time Jesus sees his face. It is Simon of Cyrene. Jesus knows him by name and did before there was time. This being becomes his pillow now. Two men take hold of his hands. The soldier on his left yanks his arm as far as it will go. But the soldier to the right is gentler. And Jesus turns to him. It's the merciful centurion again. He picks up a cold spike and places it to Jesus' wrist. Then he picks up a hammer. Their eyes meet. Eternal love shines forth again and the centurion is done, is undone. But he looks away and lifts his hammer. And in that moment Jesus hears his own word of power. The word of power that holds the merciful centurion in existence the, the word of power that causes the hammer to be Jesus is speaking it all into being the, the soldiers, the priests, the thieves the friends, the mothers, the brothers the mob, the wooden beams the spikes, the thorns the ground beneath him and the dark clouds gathering above if he ceases to speak they will all cease to be but he wills that they remain. So the soldiers live on. And the hammers come crashing down. Jesus is lifted on his crossbeam to the post. He sags held only by spikes in his wrists. Jesus designed the, the median nerves in the arm that are now working Perfectly. The pain shoots up those nerves and explodes in his skull as the crossbeam is set into place. His left foot is now pressed against his right foot. Both feet are extended, toes down, and a spike is driven through the arch of each. His knees are bent. And Jesus immediately pushes himself up to relieve the pain in his outstretched arms. He places his full weight on the spikes in his feet, and they tear through the nerves between the metatarsal bones. Splinters from the post pierce his lacerated back. Searing agony. Quickly, waves of cramps overtake him, deep throbbing pain from his head to his toes. He's no longer able to push himself up, and his knees buckle. He's hanging now by his arms. His pectoral muscles are paralyzed, and his intercostals are useless. Jesus can inhale, but he cannot exhale. His compressed heart is struggling to pump blood to his torn tissue. He fights to raise himself in order to breathe and in order to speak. He looks down at the soldiers now gambling for his clothes. He pushes himself up through the violent pain to pray aloud. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Then he sags back into silence. But the crowd is not silent. Though he can barely hear their taunts through the din of his pain, they yell, He saved others, let him save himself. If you're the Christ, come down off the cross. Save yourself, King of the Jews. The criminal to his left joins the mockery, but the thief to his right repents. Jesus pushes himself up to say to him, truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise it's noon now the rain falls harder and the clouds blacken Jesus looks down through wet strands of hair into the familiar face of a woman, and a new pain grips him. A greater pain than all the whips and spikes in the kingdom of Rome. It's his mother. And she's sobbing so hard that her breathing is as labored as his. Without words, she looks into his eyes and begs to know why. He longs to hold her and to tell her that it's all for her. He pushes upward and says, Woman, And then he looks at his friend John in the eyes. John is standing behind her, supporting his own weeping mother. He is now your son. Then to John, Jesus murmurs, she is now your mother Take her away from here And he sags back into silence Back into countless hours Of limitless pain Suddenly Jesus is startled By a foul odor It isn't the stench of open wounds It's something else and it crawls inside him. He, he looks up to his father. His father looks back. But this time Jesus doesn't recognize these eyes. They pierce the invisible world with fire and darken the visible sky. And Jesus feels dirty. He hangs between earth and heaven, filthy with human discharge on the outside. And now... Filthy with wickedness on the inside. And the Father speaks Son of man, why have you sinned against me and heeded scorn on my great glory? You are self sufficient and self righteous consumed with yourself and puffed up and selfishly ambition. You rob me of my glory and worship what's inside of you instead of looking out to the one who created you. You are a greedy, lazy, gluttonous, slanderer, and gossip. You are a lying, conceited, ungrateful cruel adulterer you practice sexual immorality you make pornography and you fill your mind with vulgarity you exchange my truth for a lie and worship the creature instead of the creator and so you are given up to your homosexual passions dressing immodestly and lot lusting after what is forbidden with all your heart you you love perverse pleasure. You hate your brother and murder him with the bullets of anger fired from your own heart. You kill babies for your convenience. You oppress the poor and deal slaves and ignore the needy. You persecute my people. You love money and prestige and honor. You put on a cloak of outward piety, but inside you are filled with dead man's bones. You are a hypocrite. You are lukewarm and easily enticed by the world. You covet and can't have, so you murder. You are filled with envy and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness. You blame others for your sin and are too proud to even call it sin. You are never slow to speak and you have a razor tongue that lashes and cuts with its criticism and sinful judgment. Your words do not impart grace. Instead, your mouth is a fountain of condemnation and guilt and obscene talk. You are a false prophet leading people astray. You mock your parents you have no self-control you are a betrayer who stirs up division and factions you are a drunkard and a thief you are an anxious coward you do not trust me you blaspheme against me you are an unsubmissive wife and you are a lazy disengaged husband You file for divorce and crush the parable of my love for the church. You're a pimp and a drug dealer. You practice divination and you worship demons. A list of your sins goes on and on and on and on. And I hate these things. Inside of you, I'm filled with disgust and indignation for your sin consumes me. Now, drink my cup. And Jesus does, He drinks. He downs every drop of the scalding liquid of God's own hatred of sin mingled with his white-hot wrath against that sin. This is the Father's cup. Omnipotent hatred and anger for the sins of every generation past present and future omnipotent wrath directed at one naked man hanging on a cross the father can no longer look at his beloved son his heart's treasure the mere image of himself and he looks away Jesus Jesus pushes himself upward and howls to heaven my God my God why have you forsaken me silence. Separation. And Jesus whispers, I'm thirsty. And he sags. The merciful centurion soaks a sponge in sour wine and lifts it on a reed to Jesus' lips. And the sour wine is the sweetest drink he has ever tasted. Jesus pushes himself up again and cries, It is finished. And it is. Every sin. Of every child of God has been laid on Jesus. And he drank the cup of God's wrath for that sin dry. It's now six o'clock, Friday evening, and Jesus finds one more surge of strength. He presses his torn feet against the spikes. He straightens his legs and, with one last gasp of air, cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. The merciful centurion sees Jesus' body fall forward and his head drop low. He thrusts his spear up behind Jesus' ribs, one more piercing for our transgression, and water and blood flow out of his broken heart. In that moment, mountains shake And rocks split, veils tear, and tombs open. And the merciful centurion looks up at the lifeless body of Jesus. And he is filled with awe. He drops to his knees and declares... This was the Son of God. Mission accomplished. Sacrifice accepted.